Hey everyone, Bobby Blanco here from the Mass and All Access Podcast. After you're done listening to this episode honoring the great Frank Robinson, be sure to check out all of our extensive coverage of the late Hall of Famer's incredible career on MassInSports.com. Rakubako and Mark Zuckerman give touching tributes to Frank Robinson and his impact on both the Orioles and Nationals, while Steve Molesky puts together a collection of what the baseball world is saying in remembrance of number 20. All of these stories and much more can be found on MassInSports.com, and be sure to follow Masson on social media for the latest news and updates. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Mass and All Access podcast. Bobby Blanco, Paul Mancano, joining you the day after a late great baseball icon has passed away sadly frank robinson passed away yesterday thursday at the age of 83 former orioles player and manager and of course the first manager in nationals history in dc and paul it's been a sad 24 hours not just for our area in baltimore and dc but the baseball world a true legend a hall of famer uh, a self-proclaimed hall of famer and um it's just been the tributes that we've seen him from across the baseball world and outside the baseball world has just been truly remarkable seeing uh, everyone coming in, giving their thoughts on Frank Robinson. And I feel like us being in the Baltimore, D.C. area, we decided to do this podcast because, you know, he touched both those franchises, as you mentioned, the Baltimore Orioles and the Washington Nationals. But we are not special as franchises. He touched so many teams right. in his time as a player, as a manager. Obviously, he spent 10 seasons as a player with the Cincinnati Reds before he was traded over to the Orioles, where he had six amazing, productive world championship uh, seasons. He won two World Series, a World Series MVP, MVP, Triple Crown. This guy did so, so much uh, for the game of baseball, in addition to being the first African-American manager in Major League Baseball history. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, we talk. We can talk about the accolades he received on the field, even off the field as a manager in the dugout, but what he's done as a person, I think, is, you know, when someone passes away, it's pretty incredible. People come out and say, man, he obviously brought me great joy as a, as an athlete, as a player, but yeah. just the person to be around, it was, it was, he was even a better person. And I think that's great to see people coming out and saying that about Frank Robinson. Um, like you said, did touch both these franchises. We're in a very unique situation. Um, and I think it's also kind of funny and weird, like, you know, we never got to see Frank Robinson play, you know, we're both in our twenties. We're, we're just too young. Yeah. Um, I barely, barely remember him being the nationals manager. I remember him being a big deal because of, you know, him being a hall of famer and everything and having success with subpar teams in Montreal. Um, but you know, I never really got to cover him or, or talk with him. So, and it feel like I, I do know the person now, like listening to like, Mark Zuckerman, Rakubako, Stimuleski, national writers on MLB Network talk about Frank and, and just the type of person and competitor and athlete he was. And I, that's pretty special when, when you, I think, when you don't know someone personally, but you feel like you do just but because the people around you who did know him care so much about him and have such an affinity for him. And we are going to hear from three people who, four people actually, who knew him very well. Yesterday in the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, they did an awesome job taking calls from uh, people, former teammates, some of the great Orioles of years past, calling in with their thoughts on uh, Frank Robinson passing away. We're going to hear from Jim Palmer, uh, who obviously was a pitcher on that staff, 
when the two, the Orioles won those two World Series in the six years that Frank Robinson was on that team. We're going to hear from Boog Powell, and we're going to hear from, of course, the great Brooks Robinson. And then to end the show, we're also going to hear from Mark Zuckerman, who covered Frank Robinson as a manager with the Washington Nationals. And Mark was just a, a young reporter, uh, but saw the other side of Frank Robinson and, and wrote some great pieces on MassInSports.com. But First, Bobby, I think it, we should get into who Frank Robinson did. I was going to say a good portion yeah. of this is going to go in through all his accolades. I mean, it's just a You could spend a whole list. show doing that. I'm, I'm continue, I've done three swipes through our notes <laughs> on, our, on our Google Drive, and it's just an incredible list. Um, the one that sticks out to me, I mean, 14-time All-Star. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Like, to be an All-Star double-digit digit season, that's great. But 14 times, I mean, that is just – and in multiple leagues for different teams – you know, he's not – you sometimes see all-star peop- players, like they're a product of being on a good team. Mm-hmm. Frank was his own great player. You know, he made other teams better. He wasn't a product of the players around him. The players around him were a product of him, which yeah. I think is pretty pretty astounding. Yeah, and many of the Orioles on that, that 1966 team that won the World Series talk about how he made the Orioles what they were. He They were a good team, but they couldn't get over the hump. And him coming to that team not only improved their play on the field, but he set a precedent and he set a tone in that locker room, having the kangaroo court where he puts a mop on his head and presides over cases that <laughs> have a, a, a charge of about a dollar. Uh, but it was a, a, an attitude and a culture that he built with that team to put them on the right track. Of course, they win the, the World Series that year. He's the MVP. He wins the Triple Crown uh, in his first year in the American League. And uh, they make three straight World Series, and then in 1970, they win it all once again. Uh, that year, 1966, when he was named American League MVP, becoming the first and still to this day only player to be named American uh, MVP in both the American and National Leagues. Um, guess who were number two and number three that year in, in American League MVP voting? Former Orioles as well. Brooks Robinson and Book Powell. <laughs> Shocker that the Orioles won the World Series that year. Yeah. That team was, and they were underdogs. Yeah, going into that World Series, and it was a clean sweep. So that I mean, just incredible what that team was able to accomplish. Um, and and Frank took home that award. He finished in the top ten MVP voting ten times, and six times he finished in the top five. Just incredible. Or in twenty one, he did that in twenty one seasons. Again, the fourteen All Stars. Yeah. Um. I mean, I mean, the guy was not just renowned by his hometown teams, but nationally. Everyone knew who Frank Robinson was, and he was making an impact on the field from from all over the place. Yeah, some of his career statistics that he finished with, 586 home runs. That's 10th all-time in Major League Baseball. He finished with a career batting average of 294. He hit an even 300 in his six seasons with the Baltimore Orioles. He played in 2,808 games, and he finished 57 hits shy of 3,000. 21 seasons for five different franchises. Two-time MVP, as you mentioned, Bobby. 14-time All-Star, won the Rookie of the Year, the Triple Crown, and the only player in Major League Baseball to win the MVP in both leagues. Yeah, And then he moved from the field to the dugout, becoming a manager. He he was the first African-American manager, not just in Major League Baseball history, but in each individual league, the American yeah. and National League, which is something, again, you know, I think there's something to be said about, obviously, Jackie Robinson, 42, broke down the color barrier, but African-American baseball players still went through hard times for many years after that barrier was broken, and Frank was like that second wave of young African-American players um, who had to suffer through that, 
and, and, and did well. So the fact that he was able to become the first African-American manager is pretty, I'm sure it was really special to him. Um, he managed in Cleveland, San Francisco, obviously here in Baltimore, and then Montreal slash Washington when uh, the Expos came to D.C. and became the Nationals. 16 seasons as a skipper. Um, first two seasons with Cleveland, he was actually a player manager, so he was yeah. also playing and calling the shots, which is pretty incredible. Um, manager of the year in the American League in 1989 with the Orioles, um, which, Paul, you touched on a lot today on Mass and All Access, that special year um, the Orioles had in 1989. And he took over, remember, a team very much in, in uh, a bad situation. He took over for Cal Sr., um, and that team would have would break a very notorious record that year when he took over. Uh, that would be that where they started off the season with 20, 21 straight losses right. in 1988. And then the next season, they almost make the playoff, or they almost make the World Series, almost win a pennant. Yeah. Uh, they go almost from worst to first in the why not 1989 Orioles team. And it was a uh, an amazing season. It won him manager of the year. Uh, and people who covered that team talk about how it hurt him personally that they didn't reach over the top, but he was amazed the fight that his players showed. He was amazed amazed how they rallied around him. Never made the playoffs as a manager. Never took his team to the playoffs in 16 seasons, uh, but he improved significantly as a manager, and he did have some pretty special moments. That 1989 team was probably his most special team. You, you talk about never making the playoffs as a manager, and, and you'll hear from Mark Zuckerman later on in this episode of the Mass and All Access podcast talking about accomplishments he didn't make as a, as a manager. They can't go overstated. Even though he didn't make the playoffs, doesn't mean he didn't do a great job. He was a manager for the Expos and Nationals between 2002 to 2006. So he, he, he was oversaw that move from Montreal. There's some tough times playing quote-unquote home games in Puerto Rico yeah. um, and then moving to a, a, a new t- a team to a, an area that had not had a baseball team in a very long time. Um, and then over those five seasons, the, the Expos and Nats, finished 500 or better in three of them, which was surprising because it was a team that was not very talented, wasn't considered to be a um, competitive team. They, In his first season in 2005 in D.C., they f- reached the All-Star break with the best record in the National League um, on pace to win 100 games, which, believe it or not, had uh, D.C. up and out about, you know, you, you think about crowds we see at Nats Park now and how boisterous and excited this fan base is. It's kind of because of Frank Robinson. I mean, he started that, you know, from day one. Without um, him showing up and, and getting that team to perform, we're looking at this fan base being set back a couple years when they first come. Um, so, a pretty impressive run as a manager in, in D.C. slash Montreal as well. And in his later years, he also won the pres- was honored with the Presidential uh, Medal of Freedom by President George W. Bush. That is the highest honor uh, you can get in the United States of America as a citizen. An unbelievable honor that uh, that he was given, uh, and it speaks to the impact he had with in baseball in his later years. Also in retirement, he spent time uh, as a special advisor to Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball. He was in and around baseball his entire life, pretty much, um, and he, he made quite an impact. Earlier on Mass and All Access, we, we had a show where we – took comments uh, from people who had special connections and wanted to share their memories. A lot of them spoke about their personal connections. Some of them said, he showed up at my Little League team, at a Little League practice, and uh, we got to meet him. I didn't realize I was in the presence of baseball royalty. And, you know, the first game that I saw uh, as a fan was with Frank Robinson, and he made me an Orioles fan. 
the amount that he touched these people and, and touched especially people in Baltimore uh, cannot be overstated. Yeah, he's memorialized in statues in Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Baltimore here <laughs> in Baltimore amazing. outside Camden Yards. And his number is retired by all three of those franch- franchises. Yeah. And his name is in the Ring of Honor at Nats Park in D.C. <laughs> That's amazing. So crossing over four franchises, he's, he is um, honored in infamy for all time. Um, just incredible what he was able to do and, and, and touch the hearts of those fan bases and those teams. Um, so let's get to some sound, Paul. Um, like you mentioned, we did ma- master the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report last night, Thursday night, the night of Frank Robinson's passing. Did a great job of getting plenty of guests on, um, calling into the show. We pulled some of that audio in case you missed it, um, in case you've been on the web and reading uh, as opposed to listening. Here's some audio. Uh, we're going to start with Jim Palmer, who obviously was – it was. Uh, a, a, one of the, a young guy when he came into the, the yeah. Orioles when Frank Robinson came over and, and helped him win his first World Series and got to see greatness up hand. So let's listen to what Jim Palmer had to say about playing with Frank Robinson. Well, he certainly didn't like the – he didn't care what the opposition thought about him. I, uh, you know, I used to be on the board of the baseball systems team, and I, Bob Gibson was on there, and I used to always look at Bob Gibson and go, why would I have liked to have been his teammate? And I think – while a lot of people didn't like Frank because he was such a good player, they would have liked to have had him as a teammate. Uh, I still remember the first time I ever saw him swing a bat. Steve Cosgrove was a bonus kid out of Houston. The Orioles had drafted. Great fastball, great curveball right off the table. And I'm sitting next to Dick Hall on the bench. And, you know, Frank had come to Baltimore to look for housing. And then he comes to spring training. So he's a little bit late. We're playing the inner squad game at the Miami Stadium. And Cosgrove throws him one of these perfect curveballs down and away, and he kind of gets out on his front foot, but he keeps his hands back, and he hits it off the chalk line for a double. And I turn to Dick Hall, and I go, I think we just won the pennant. And <laughs> as it turned out, you know, the Orioles would win 97 games. We would sweep, you know, we would sweep the Dodgers. You know, he'd hit two home runs, so 49 in the regular season, triple crown, MVP. And then actually in 67, guys, he was off to a better start before he had the collision with Al Weiss. You know, he was known for, you didn't want to be lingering if you were a middle infielder, uh, whether you were a shortstop or second baseman. He played the game hard. He played it tough. And, um, you know, I mean, it's a sad day. It, it, it's not sad in this, you know, in the respect that I had a chance to, to be one of his teammates and get to see him play because I've been around the game a long time. And from an offensive standpoint, I mean, of course, I never saw Mays play or Aaron, you know, when he, hey, days in the National League. But, boy, I can't think of, anybody being a better offensive player than Frank was. I think one of my favorite stories, you wonder how you get to the Hall of Fame. Well, you know, you have teammates like, you know, Brooks Robinson and Frank and, you know, Boog Powell and Paul Blair. I mean, Buford, I mean, you go down the list. Eddie Murray, Cal. I mean, you don't win a lot of games. But I pitched a game against Catfish Hunter. I didn't really pitch against Catfish that often. And Ken Harrelson had a two-run home run on the fourth inning, hit a line drive down the left field line of Memorial Stadium. So Frank comes up, and we're trailing in the bottom of the ninth. Catfish has struck out Frank three times. So Dick Williams, who's the Hall of Fame manager, he's not going to take Catfish out. He, we got a couple of guys on. Frank hits a high fly ball down the right field line, curves it inside the foul pole. They used to have that metal kind of mezzanine down there where Cameron would be, and he hit it into there for a three-run home run. We win. I go to Cooperstown. So, you know, I mean, I, I still, you know, it's funny in your mind's eye, you can remember, you know, pitches you threw or home runs or strikeouts, but I still remember, you know, I kind of hurt my arm at the end of the 66 season and I'm pitching against the Twins and he's freezing in Baltimore and Dean Chance is pitching 
for the Twins. Now, three years earlier, this is 1967, they pitched 12 shutouts. Nasty sinker, great slider. Frank took him into the bullpen, blown away sliders with one hand. And that was Frank Robinson. He could hit any pitch. You know, so I'm BT on and one nothing in, in Cleveland, you know, to the opposite field. When I made the club in 66, everybody got hurt. I pitched five no-hit innings against the Yankees. Al Downing threw him a changeup low and away. He hit it over the into the wind. He hit it over the clock and the scoreboard in right center field for a two-run home run. We won two to nothing. So helped me make the club in 66. Helped me get my first World Series ring, $11,683.04, which is 4000 more than I made. And, uh, you know, you're going to miss Frank because, yeah, he was a tough guy, but, you know, he mellowed. And, boy, when you had a chance to play with somebody of that caliber, I mean, I can just imagine, you know, what people said about Yastrzemski or Aaron or, you know, Mays. When you get to see somebody like that day in, and day, in and day out and the effect they have on everybody else, Kind of like the Michael Jordan effect where when you get a player of that magnitude, he makes everybody better. He just set the tone. I mean, you got to understand, we had really good players. You know, Brooks embraced him. You know, Brooks is, you know, had won the MVP in, what, 64? So here, two years later, you get a guy that won the MVP in the National League. He would win an MVP triple crown that year. But, you know, we all knew that, that Frank was going to make us a better player. And Earl Wilson has as good a slider as anybody in baseball. Uh I mean, I can still remember Louis Aparicio. <laughs> he, he would take that slider and hit a one-hopper right back to Earl, and he'd come back, and they'd go, how's he throwing? He goes, he doesn't have, <laughs> can't tell you the word. And that's, but Earl Wilson, I mean, he, so, again, you know, Earl Wilson, you know, I don't re- exactly remember the pitch, but Earl Wilson, you know, he, he wasn't an easy touch. So, again, he, he was tough to beat because of, of, the, of the slider. You know, I mean, he's a tremendous offensive uh, hitting pitcher. So when it, it just kind of set the tone for the way the season was going to be. And, you know, again, I, I think we, we, we think of 66 because it was the first time the Orioles were in the World Series. But, you know, Frank was an integral part of the, you know, the 69, 70, and 71 Orioles that won 109, 108, and 101 games. You know, and the great thing about the kangaroo court, we only had the kangaroo court when we won. Think about that. And guys, I mean, you know, everybody wants to win. You know, everybody talks about it. But again, I mean, you know, we and then we had awards. And, you know, Frank was instrumental. I mean, we had the, uh, you know, the Chico Simone no-touch award because Chico was known more for his bat than, than his glove. You know, we had the Don Buford red-ass award because Buford would always get upset. So we had a toilet that was painted red. So if somebody <laughs> got upset, you'd give him that award. Uh, John O'Donoghue pitched for the Indians. He used to throw these long home runs, so we had the John O'Donoghue home run award if you threw a long home run. So they were, you know, if you yawned in the dugout, you'd get fined. Um, you know, I still remember Chico Simone calling, uh, telling Kurt Moten, who was one of our outfielders, you know, you're a collusionist. And Kurt looked across the, the, the locker room and Chris Frank's the judge, you know, with his gavel, and he goes, don't accuse me of something you can't even spell. So it was, you know, so it was, it, it was a great time. And again, you know, the, I mean, really the message you know, of the kangaroo court was you didn't do it when you lost and we didn't lose too many games in 69, 70 and 71. So there it is. Jim Palmer talking about the late, great Frank Robinson and, and Paul to me, the things that stuck out from that, from Palmer's comments are just like the words, helped and and made our team better and the Jordan effect, you know, <laughs> that he was just that kind of guy, that presence. I mean, Jim Palmer is a Hall of Famer himself, and he's saying that 
Frank Robinson helped him reach that status and help elevate his career to that level. And Jim Palmer, you might remember, was a 20-year-old kid really on that 1966 team in his second season. And he ended up going out and being one of the best players and one of the best pitchers in baseball that yeah. year, helping them win a, a World Series championship, pitching game one of the World Series in 1966 in a series where pitching dominated, and yeah. he was masterful at 20 years old. Uh, so Jim Palmer clearly you know, knows what he's talking about when talking about how uh, that culture in that locker room was shaped by Frank Robinson. And how much Frank meant to him as a person yeah. and, and, a, and a teammate. Um, up next will be a, a longtime teammate and friend, um, of Frank Robinson, Brooks Robinson, another Oriole great. Obviously, Brooks himself has had a, an amazing career. I mean, we can do hours on hours on end on Brooks Robinson's career. But he knew Frank for a, a long time, played all six seasons that Frank was in Baltimore together, and then remained really close friends after the fact, after Frank moved on. And here's what Brooks Robinson had to say about his late friend, Frank Robinson. Uh, you know, he just fit right in. I mean, it wasn't any really transition uh you, you saw what he could do he won the triple crown and to do it in each league is unbelievable but uh it worked out well and we just uh we fell in love with him really he knew how to get the most out of you know he had like a reverse psychology when we were winning that's when he was hollering at us and when he we were losing well uh he, you know that was when he was saying, okay, these guys are not better than you. Go out there and, and do your thing. Uh, we got there we were on, the, on the cusp in 1964 and had a chance to win in 1960, but just never met it. But we were a little better than everyone else when he got here. And uh, I think that uh, just to watch him play, and he was a hard-nosed player, and I mean, I I put him in uh, you know in a class with really the great players, the superstars of the game. Yeah, and uh, of course Brooks Robinson had one heck of a career himself. <laughs> calling him a calling Frank Robinson a superstar, and, and that he fell in love with him. I mean, their relationship dwelled so deeply that it, it became it was like a love. It was it was like a brotherhood like type bond between the two um, future Hall of Famers at an early stage. Yeah, they were the Robinson brothers, as yeah. we remember, uh, as a lot of people joked. What a team that was, including the great Boo Powell, who, as you mentioned, Bobby, came just shy of the MVP in 1966 when uh, his teammate Frank Robinson won that award. Here's Boo Powell yesterday on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. Um, you know, when we, first, when we first saw him, we nobody, I don't think anybody really knew or understood or what to expect. And... Frank got in the batting cage down there and he was rattling balls through the coconut trees down there. And, and I turned in, uh, Andy Etchburn turned to me and he said, Boog, we just won the pennant. And that was in spring training. And I said, I said, yeah, I think you might be right. And we were good and we knew we were good, but I don't know. We just needed, I don't know, maybe just that one that one catalyst or that one something, something that put us over the edge. And Frank did that in more than one way, not only with hitting home runs and driving in runs, but his attitude and the way that he approached the game and the way that uh, it's, you know, as, a, as for instance, you know, he would see one of our guys out there on the field talking 
to one of the other team's players, and he would say, hey, don't be doing that. We're we're going to go out there and kick their butt in 20 minutes. <laughs> you know? They say, you want to get together with them? Get together with them after the game or something. You know, but it doesn't look good when you're out there kissy-kissy and smiley-smiley when you're going to kick their butt, you know? Boo, could and you that, that was the attitude that Frank had, and could- that was the attitude that he brought every day. And, and But I just watched him stand about, you know, six inches from home plate, just hang out over the plate. Here I am, boys. And they and everybody pitched him inside. And he got hit, you know, fairly often. But you had to be very, very careful in there. Because when you came in there, that's those are the ones that go out of the ballpark and out on the street and that kind of stuff. But he was he was like you said, he was absolutely fearless. And it was even better when you saw it on the field or when you saw it, like every now and then I'd be on second base and Frank would be hit and I'd just, I'd watch, I'd watch him and it didn't really matter how hard you were throwing. It didn't matter what you had. I mean, he was on it. He was hardly ever fooled. And I just, I wish that I could have, there were some times when all ball players do that, but Frank did it all the time. And Book Pal, I mean, what three great voices to hear from on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report about the great Frank Robinson. And I just love that gives you a real good view of the competitive competitiveness that Frank Robinson had. You know, you're not talking to the other <laughs> team before the game, talking to them afterwards, um, crowding the plate, come and hit me, I dare you. And when he did get hit, just brush it off and take your base. I mean, what a competitor. I mean, he's a great person, obviously, but a competitor to the very end as well. The Intimidator, as he gave himself the nickname when he was the Washington Nationals manager. And we had Mark Zuckerman. We spoke to him earlier today about covering Frank Robinson, the manager, in his first few years in Washington, uh, covering a brand-new <laughs> team, brand or a, new, yeah. a franchise that had just moved to a new city uh, and had some great, great stories to tell. MassInSports.com's Mark Zuckerman joining us on the Masson All Access Podcast. Take a listen. Joined now by MassonSports.com Nationals beat writer Mark Zuckerman uh, taking time out to join us and uh, talk about the late, great Frank Robinson. Mark, first off, thanks for joining us. Um, I know it's been a kind of a hectic 24 hours, not just in for the Orioles and the Nationals fan bases, uh, but the baseball world. Uh, what are just your first general thoughts overall as Frank Robinson, the player? Obviously, you covered him as the manager and then also the person. Yeah, boy, there's so much <laughs> there to him. Um, you know, as I as I was writing his obituary, and, and you know, I don't think I'm revealing too much here to admit that um, we had kind of gotten word in the last couple of weeks that he wasn't doing well. So, uh, you know, it gave me some time to start preparing things and do some research and look up old stories and stuff. And what I was struck by, and, and maybe I realized it at the time, but it really hit me right now, was – what a remarkable and honestly, I believe, unique career that he had. I mean, is there anybody else in baseball history that you could say combined the career as a player that Frank had, where you're talking about winning MVPs in both leagues, winning the Triple Crown, winning the World Series, the multiple World Series, um, becoming a player manager and homering in his first game. Uh, all that now add on to that to the managerial career breaking barriers as the first African-American manager, not just in the AL with the Indians, but in the NL with the Giants also. He was the first African-American in the NL to manage a team. 
uh, winning a manager of the year with the Orioles in the great 89 Why Not team, and then having this kind of really cool uh, coda to his whole managerial career with the Expos and Nationals, where, look, they were severely limited in what they could do at that time, owned by MLB. And he exceeded expectations with those teams. I know they didn't get all the way where he wanted to. He never did make the playoffs as a manager. But he got the most out of those teams, and he always had them competitive right into September. He's got all that. And then he also worked in Major League Baseball's uh, commissioner's office for the, the final stages of his life. Um, that's such a remarkable breadth of, of accomplishment. And I just don't know if there's anybody in baseball history that can match up entirely with that. You know, we, so much of when it comes to the Hall of Fame and, and the greats in sports, we want to try to compare one player to another. I think Frank falls into that very elite category of unique. There is no comparable uh, person in baseball history, I think, to Frank Robinson. Absolutely. He was certainly very unique, his personality and the accomplishments that he had. I mean, you mentioned just what he did on the baseball field, and that speak to doesn't even mention what he did off the baseball field for civil rights and being, as you mentioned, the first African-American manager. He touched the game in so many ways, and you mentioned in your article on MassInSports.com how you got to know him as a young reporter covering the Washington Nationals. He was, of course, the first manager of the Washington Nationals. You call him the Intimidator, which was the nickname he gave himself, but you say he had a soft side. What was it like covering Frank Robinson, the manager? Yeah, it's the perfect like dichotomy to explain him because to the entire baseball world and anybody who, who didn't know him, Personally, he was the intimidator, and he kind of liked having that persona. Uh, you know, I, I told the, the great story about the night in Anaheim when he and Mike Sosha went toe-to-toe. Uh, the bench is emptied, and that's when Frank used that line, saying he thinks he can intimidate me. No, I am the intimidator. You know, that's the Frank that we all knew, and it's honestly the reputation that I knew he had when I first started covering the team. So I was a little bit nervous about that. I was 28 years old. I had covered... Uh, professional sports. I covered the Orioles for a few seasons, the Redskins for a few seasons, but this was a bigger deal. This was baseball's return in D.C., and you're talking about an absolute icon in the history of the game who was the manager, and it was going to be my job to have to like get to know him and develop some level of trust with him. And it was my colleague uh, from the Washington Times back then, Tom Rivero, who gave me the best advice, and that was, Frank is going to test you. He's going to try to intimidate you. But what he wants is for you to show that you're not intimidated, that you can take a punch and throw it right back at him. You've got to be willing to actually play along, play, you know, sort of tease him, uh, jab him a little bit. And that's a hard thing for a 28-year-old to do with a then, what, 70-year-old Hall of Famer and baseball icon. But uh, over time, I started to get comfortable with that, and you could tell that's what kind of opened the door. That's what allowed Frank to let me in to his sort of inner circle of those people who covered the team. And, and it wasn't just me. It was those, all of us who covered the team on a daily basis were able to build that relationship with him. But that just opened the door to this whole new side of him that very few people maybe got to see. You know, every day we're talking baseball with him before the game, after the game, not just baseball, talking golf, basketball, life, uh, you name it. Um, I really treasured those, those sessions, mostly off the record after we had asked our um, you know, handful of questions that need to be asked about the team. We'd just sit in his office, usually on the road, uh, in the manager's office, and and just 
talk for a good hour. And I, I try to never lose sight of the fact that this is Frank Robinson. This isn't just anybody, you know? This is Frank Robinson. And, and how fortunate I was to be able to be in that situation um, to develop that kind of relationship with him. And, um, you know, there, I, I've been privileged to cover a lot of great stuff, a lot of great athletes, great moments and all that in my career so far. But I, I've always believed that that's number one on the list. When I'm all said and done, uh, those two seasons I got to spend talking baseball with Frank Robinson every single day. Um, I, I can't imagine anything ever topping that, to be honest. Yeah, that's really great. I think one of the things that w- come out a lot over the past 24 hours is that people are talking, not, obviously a great player, had a good run as a manager, but he's just an incredible person too. Um, but also, can you speak to him as a manager and that the job that he did with the Nationals in 2005, because you take a team from Montreal, he comes to D.C., a, a town that hadn't had baseball in however many years and so long, and then he gets them to be competitive. They they had the best record in the NL at the All-Star break. Yes, they finished 500, but, I mean, they were punching above their weight class the entire season, and he did a pretty good job and, and in a tough situation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think people maybe don't appreciate just how tough of a challenge that was. We'll just go back to the fact when he was hired to manage the Expos. The team was owned by Major League Baseball at this point. They were going to be contracted. Uh, and then once that didn't happen, then they knew they were going to be moved. But MLB was operating on a shoestring budget. I think that first year in D.C., they had a $50 million payroll, which was hardly anything. They had very little farm system because Omar, Omar, Omar Minaya, who had been the GM those last years in Montreal, traded a bunch of prospects away to try to win right then and there because uh, there was no future for the organization. They were not expected to exist for much longer. Uh, so it, it was really a bare-bones kind of slapped-together roster by Jim Bowden, who took over as GM in D.C., and I think Frank deserves a lot of the credit. He brought instant credibility. Um, you know, you had fans here in D.C. who all of a sudden have this new team to root for, and they didn't know the, these players. I mean, the, the big-name stars, as they were, were Brad Wilkerson and Levon Hernandez. Vinny Castilla. I mean, these were not household names uh, to casual baseball fans, but everybody knew who Frank Robinson was. And he was the star of that team. He set the tone. He made no excuses for, for them. He said, I don't care what our peril is. I don't care what our situation is. I don't care if they're playing in RFK Stadium, which is a complete dump, of course. Uh, a lovable dump, of course, but, you know, but a dump nonetheless. Um, and he, I think he did help inspire them and brought the best out of them. Now, as things started to go south in the second half. And, and honestly, I think deep down, Frank knew it wasn't going to be sustainable all year. He knew they were limited in their talent and their resources and that they won a lot of one-run games and that in all likelihood that was going to even out when it was all said and done. But, um, you know, there were maybe times that he could have made some different moves and you said, boy, I kind of questioned the strategy there. Maybe he wasn't the best in-game manager. But the respect he commanded, um, and, and like I said, if you look at really across his whole managerial career, I know he never made the playoffs. Uh, he never won more than 87 games, I think. But he was never given a team that was expected to win. And I would argue that at, at least half, if not more, of the teams that he managed wound up exceeding expectations, certainly that 05. Yeah, and uh, between the five seasons he covered or he managed the Expos and the Nationals, he finished 500 or better in three of those. So I think that's a pretty impressive. And got manager of the year vote in each of those years. Right, exactly, exactly. So just add that to the list of accolades um, Frank Robinson um, gathered over the course of his 
baseball career. Uh, Mark, we want to thank you so much for hopping on. Um, you, you have a very particular insight on Frank Robinson as a person because you were able to cover him um, when he was with the Nationals, and, and we're lucky to cover him from all sides because he was obviously a player and a manager for the Orioles and a manager for the Nationals, the two teams that we cover. Before we let you go, just your your favorite. I don't know where Bryce is going. No, 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 no. no. Today's not a day. Today's not a day for oh, Bryce. Oh, oh. No, no, no. Okay. I was just going to ask you. Sorry, that's like a that's like an instant reaction. I just have. <laughs> I, anytime somebody says I have a question for you, that's what I do. <laughs> for the pra- for the past year, I'm sure. No, I was actually going to yeah. ask. Uh, this is a day for about Frank. Um, you're just your favorite personal story you have about Frank Robinson, whether that's you know something he did on the field as a player manager or one on one. Anything you'd like to share uh, before we let you go? Yeah, I, I, I closed out my column this morning with it, but I'll share it for anyone who didn't read it because this, this was a, a truly a personal story for me. But it, it it meant a lot to me, and it kind of showed me that I had some small impact on him that he cared enough about me. This was the year after he had been fired, 2007, uh, and I'm at the um, All Star Game in San Francisco, the Home Run Derby, and I'm down on the field beforehand with hundreds of other people uh, at an event like that. And, Frank comes up to me, and you know, it's the first time I've seen him now since he was fired. I'm just thrilled to have a few minutes to chat with him, and he just wanted to talk to me. Um, there's lots of other people around. We must have talked for 10, 15 minutes about everything. And uh, along the way, I realized there were other people kind of hovering around waiting for me to wrap up so they could talk to Frank as well. And included in that was one, I'm not going to give his name, but he's a really prominent national broadcaster, sports broadcaster that anyone out there would immediately know who he was. And he kind of interrupted us, and Frank looked at him and said, hey, I'm talking to my friend here. And the guy, like, limped away. He was like, oh, I'm so sorry, Frank. I uh, just wanted to say hi. Hey, you know, I just want to let you know you're one of the greatest ever. Thank you so much. And he kind of scuttled away, and Frank gave him this look and kind of rolled his eyes, and he didn't have to say anything else. But <laughs> I knew that, uh, you know, what that meant to him was that he didn't, want to be gushed over he didn't like to have people fawning over him he didn't he didn't need somebody to tell him hey you're one of the greatest of all time he knew he was one of the greatest of all time uh and just the fact that for that one moment i was more important to frank robinson the hall of famer than the very important broadcaster um just a very cool little personal moment for me and i think it spoke to who he really was as a person that he didn't care about the accolades and the attention he just wanted people to treat him like anyone else. Yep, and like I said, in times like these, I think a lot of things come out about the person um, rather than the player or manager, um, which which is just great. It's great stories. I think a, lot, a good time for people to share their stories about Frank Robinson. What a great baseball legend, great figure, and not just on the field but off the field. Um, and, Mark, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to hop on the phone with us and give us a chat and share us your thoughts about the, the late, great Frank Robinson. Hey, my, my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Catch Mark Zuckerman's coverage of uh, Mark, uh, Frank Robinson's passing on MassInSports.com. Also give him a follow at Mark Zuckerman on Twitter for all the latest Nationals news. Hopefully he has Bryce Harper news for you <laughs> and, and before spring training starts. Mark, thanks again. We'll see you down in uh, Florida. All right. Thanks, guys.